Today on Ron Righteous, we asked the question, does this sound like a ghost to you? Welcome to Rotten or Righteous. Once the votes are read, the decision is final. The person voted out will be asked to leave the tribal council area immediately. I'll read the votes. This is a show where we look at faith-based media and rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 to 5 means that it is rotten and you should just avoid it like the plague. If it rates to a 6 to a 10, then it's alright. It's righteous. You should give it a chance. You should give it a try. I'm Zach Geiler, and with me... As always, is my good friends Scott and Luke. But before we get to them, I would just at the top get rid of some housekeeping stuff so we don't have to worry about it later. Please, if you haven't already, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rottenerrighteous. Follow us on Google Podcasts or on iHeartRadio or SoundCloud. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a quick review and five stars. It really helps us reach a larger audience. And if you like the show, if you are on board and been listening to it for a while, please just tell somebody about it. Maybe put a little status update in the old social media. Do what you got to do to help us get the show out. I thank you for all of you who are listening and have been listening, and it's awesome to see our numbers go up each week, and I truly hope you're enjoying the show as much as we enjoy uh, uh, creating it. And we don't enjoy creating it all that much, so you only have to like the show just a little bit in order to do that. We at Rotten or Righteous... I've set aside a portion of time at the top of our show to discuss a news story that is affecting millions of lives across the globe. In an effort to stay up to date and keep our listeners informed, we move on to our fairly new segment that is called Supremely Thoughtful and Useful Information Delivery, or S-T-U-P-I-D for short. <laughs> I'm proud, Scott. I thought you were illiterate. Not when it comes in the form of an acronym. <laughs> this week news story comes to us from across the pond in the united kingdom and this one is hot off the press guys it was literally written today june 25th 2020 and it was an article written by the esteemed journalist luke matthew who i can only assume makes his parents proud every single day the headline reads woman's pasta creation brutally ripped apart as others compare it to diarrhea stop it I'm dead serious that's exactly what the headline is I can't wait to hear more now but before we go any further into the discussion I do want to share with you guys the picture of the pasta dish in question and because this is an audio medium I do want to try to paint a word picture for our listening audience. So if you go to your guys' Facebook Messenger, I'll send it to you there. Ooh. Ooh. That looks terrible. See, it's not diarrhea I'm putting in mind of. It's, well, may I do. It's like sticks. What is that? Uh, it appears to be penne pasta that has been topped with poo. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like somebody poured 
beef gravy over penne pasta. Which might actually be good. That might actually be good, but this... I, I went to culinary school, and they'll tell you that you eat with your eyes first. My eyes just vomited. I'm not. I'm not eating this penne. It's not. It's not runny though. If it was going to be diarrhea, it had to be more runny. I don't know. If you look at the bottom of the bowl, there is some definite uh, liquid accumulation. Hmm. Now, before we gross everyone out completely, it isn't diarrhea on top of penne pasta. That's just what it was compared to. Are you sure? Yeah, I'll tell you exactly what you're looking at. Let me read the article to you. A woman bravely uploaded a photo of her pasta dish to the Rate My Plate Facebook page, and the harsh feedback included advice to throw it down the toilet to cut out the middleman. <laughs> if, you post a, if you post a picture of a pasta dish online... You better be willing to deal with the consequences, because people will mobilize to defend the sacred food. Previously, one amateur cook was told that she should be banned from Italy after sharing a photo of her classic dish of pasta and gravy, with another saying that the meal made their eyes bleed. So one woman must have been feeling pretty brave when she decided to introduce the world to her very own unique recipe on Rate My Plate Facebook or on the Rate My Plate Facebook page. The group boasts more than 2.5 million members, all ready to give their opinion on the plates of food uploaded for inspection. And they didn't hold back. A recent submission has racked up almost 9,000 comments, showing an interesting-looking bowl of pasta, which is simply titled, Pasta with Melted Chocolate, by Sophie A. Ooh. And as expected, some of the reactions were absolutely brutal. One commented to say, it looks like my son had diarrhea and it landed all over your pasta. Enjoy. <laughs> it, it, it looks to me like somebody took like a hundred feet of arteries. I just like how it was her son's diarrhea, not his. But <laughs> <laughs> A second wrote, that is just so wrong. If you want an improvement for it, pick it up, walk it over to the bin and just throw it in there. Then go back to, into your cupboard and create a decent pasta dish. Another replied, I ate a candle when I was a kid, and that was 100% more appetizing. Do you need me to call someone for you? Family? Friend? Therapist? A fourth added, chocolate pasta looks the same going in, out as it does going in. May as well miss out the middleman and just throw it down in the toilet. I'm telling you right now, Zach, you could wait four days and that pasta could walk itself over to the dumpster. <laughs> hey, but before we just immediately hurt or, or just immediately rain on this chocolate pasta's parade, uh, there were some that were more open to the idea and even sounded willing to try it for themselves. One replied, shown my daughter and she thinks that's a dream meal. Love pasta and Nutella. Why not put them together? I'll answer that question because it's gross. How do, you, you know how do you know? Have you tried it? No, because they don't go together. I'm also not going to take a, a big bowl of chili and put a scoop of vanilla ice cream in it and mix it all together and eat it. I like chili. I like ice cream. I don't want them together. You could never tell, though, in that. Oh, you could tell if you could taste vanilla in your chili. Another said, when you're craving for carbs and chocolate both at the same time, improvise. So, gentlemen, as I said at the beginning, this is clearly a crucial news story. Chocolate and pasta. Looks like poop, but does it taste like soup? <laughs> it looks like, like dookie. American, I got a few more here. I got a few more here. <laughs> it looks like dookie, 
but does it cause you to pukey? Looks like dung, but is it secretly yum? Okay. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Quite possibly the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in a dish in my life. Whatever. Your mom has that one baby picture of you sitting on a plate. That's beside the, that's beside the point. <laughs> I was cute back then. You know, I would give it a try. So would you, you really? Yeah, I mean, I would try it. Like, it might look funny, but chocolate and pasta, like, how bad could it taste? Probably, it probably isn't that bad. I mean, it might not be the most appetizing texture, but I'd give it a go. I look at that, and I think I'd be more apt to eat tarantula, caterpillars, spiders. That is just disgusting. I've seen you munch on dog biscuits, like they're Pringles. See, and the thing is, you could put Nutella on a dog biscuit, and it wouldn't look nearly as bad as this. Oh. And don't knock dog biscuits till you've tried them. I, I'm, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I once had biscuits and chocolate gravy. Apparently, it's a thing that's more prevalent in some states than others, but for some reason, I was at a sleepover, and biscuits and chocolate gravy were the breakfast. I took a bite of it, and I said, No. And I was like 12 years old. I should be digging because it's chocolate. And so even at 12, my palate was more refined than to eat two things that should not go together. Just because it has the word chocolate in it doesn't mean that it's going to taste good. I, I, I no. Well, where they messed up was they should have went and grabbed a little macaroni out of the cabinet. I mean, maybe if it was like shapes. If it like was a SpongeBob-shaped macaroni noodles, I'd be down. How much different than than bread is pasta? Not that much. And people put chocolate on bread all the time. I Make literally just talked about putting chocolate on bread and how it was gross. Yeah, but tons of people do that. I know people, it. But the guy with Nutella had a good point. Listen, I mean, tons of people put that in, stuff on everything. Tons of people in Jonestown drank the Kool Aid. Doesn't mean they were right. So she was probably just in a snobby cooking group that bashed on this idea and there's probably millions whose lives are affected by this story who would actually enjoy this dish more power to them all right let's let's just have a little bit of fun here scott rate this dish on the rotten or righteous scale one to ten i'm giving i'm giving it all i can't go zero we'll go one i don't even think i could try that that looks (laughs) just disgusting and now that i know what it is it's even worse I was thinking, you know, when, when I thought maybe it was some kind of beef broth that it had soaked up, I thought, yeah, maybe. <clears throat> well, I like chocolate. I, I mean, I like beef and noodles. Beef and noodles yeah. are delicious. If that's yeah, what it was, I'd be all and, over it. Yeah, but this isn't beef and noodles. No. Um, all right, so we have the lowest rating on this show's history for this, this picture of the uh, uh, pasta and chocolate, and that's a one. Luke, where it's are you at here? a one. And if you give I it a 10 it a just to be a turd. I'm, gonna I'm not going to give it a 10 okay. because I'm not biased. Um, I'm going to give a, it a 5. I'm going to give it a 5 because I haven't tried it. And next time I make pasta, I might set some aside and send you guys a picture. Hey, guess what? Five's still rotten. I'm going to give it a 2. So there you have it. I'm not even going to average it out, but I do know that according 2. to our 6, scale. 6. Two, there you go. <laughs> do you need any more proof that this dish is from the devil? It's 2.6666 repeated. The Pharisees wouldn't give Jesus a chance either. 
Are you comparing my Lord and Savior to a bowl of penne pasta that's covered in chocolate sauce? They might have thought that he <laughs> was unimpressive, as you believe this dish to be unimpressive. Hey, Luke, but... I know that you technically don't work right now as a preacher, but I'm going to try to save you a little bit so that when you get back to the States, you might be able to find a pulpit somewhere <laughs> and work. Nah. <laughs> well, we have our chocolate pasta rating. It was... Given a rotten rating of a 2.7, rounding up. But what about this week's show? Today we are reviewing the season finale of the VidAngel series, The Chosen. The episode opens in Canaan, 1952 BC, where Jacob and his sons begin to dig a well. A local man named Yasib comes and greets Jacob and explains that the land that Jacob bought, that he's digging his well on, that it is pretty much useless, that no matter how far down he digs, he's never going to draw water. But Jacob assures Yaseeb that God will provide. But old Yaseeb tells him that the gods in Canaan are not kind. Jacob says, well, if it doesn't work out, then they're just going to move on. They're searching for the promised land that God promised his grandfather, Abraham. And Yaseeb responds, you ever notice that the gods are always promising us things that we... But, or, but we never really see them happen. Jacob assures the local that sometimes God just takes his time. Sometimes generations have to pass to fulfill his promises. And Yaseeb is amazed that... Of all the gods you could possibly choose from, you pick an invisible god whose promises take generations to come true, who, who makes you sojourn in strange places, and he broke your hip. That is a strange choice. But Jacob tells the man that he didn't choose to worship God, but God chose him, and at that moment, water begins to fill the well. And Jacob turns around to Yaseeb and says, Ha! I told you so! He gave him a wet willy and ran away. That was my favorite part of the show. Yeah, it was very, uh... He... <laughs> you wouldn't expect to see a wet willy, but... I don't know. By the end of this show, I feel like I expected to see a wet willy. This show went just a little bit silly off the rails, but we'll get there. <laughs> Cut to 26 A.D. A disheveled woman is drawing water from a well and begins to carry it down a long road that leads into town. Then the opening credits roll. Now, I just want to stop here just for a minute. Because when the woman begins to pick up the water and walk towards the town, music begins to play. Do you remember that music, Scott? No, I don't. And I watched the episode just this afternoon. Well, What was the music? I, well, I was going to ask you what you thought about this song choice. Because, to me, well, this song sounded like a ghost. Probably be a better question to ask Luke. I don't remember it either. It went... <laughs> I was still mesmerized. I was just like... Oh, I'm telling you, it sounded just like a ghost. <laughs> I thought you said there was music. Yeah, I know. That's what it sounded what like. Was... I'm telling you, it sounded like a ghost. And it just took me completely out of the scene because I started laughing. I'm like, what did they do? Hire a ghost here to sing this part? <laughs> Only you. <laughs> I can hardly believe I missed that. Yeah, it's... That'd be the theme for this show. Can that be the opening? 
want to sound like a ghost? And I, I doubt yeah. that it's free market, but I'll put in 15 seconds that I can legally put in. You can just sing it. Oh, that's what you want our theme song? Yep. Yeah. Well, we'll start it out. Today on Ron Righteous, we asked the question, does this sound like a ghost to you? (laughs) 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 Okay, I guess I'm an idiot. Uh, I'm for sure. I saw the show we're watching. (laughs) 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 It does matter. But it's true. You pull up the strangest things. (laughs) Yeah. You don't you don't find yourself on the spectrum and not pull out strange things. Was Mary Magdalene in the back like playing the harp? No, the, Mary Magdalene was in the back favorite. with a with a whetstone and a switchblade, just going, <laughs> <laughs> just going. I'm going to kill that ghost. A ghost was one of the things I saw that would turn your bones into ice or a blood into ice. <laughs> oh my. But following the opening credits, the woman makes it back to town with her water and enters her home and she walks in and the most just relatable character that has been on the show is sitting there. <laughs> he is kind of relatable, isn't he? It's just this old, decrepit man. Angry. Who says... When the door opened, I honestly hoped it was a thief or a murderer. Come to put me out of my misery. <laughs> I don't you know why. That way, Zach. I don't know why, but I really related to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just you. And then the woman's like, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I need a favor from you. And before asking what the woman at the well wants, my new favorite character immediately asks her why she looks so grody. That's what he says. Not, and, and not so many words. He goes, hey, why you look gross? <laughs> <laughs> face is red, your hair's matted, you're smelly. What's going on with you? you sure you don't want to murder me? And she was like, hey, it's because I can't go to the well with all the other wives. I have to go at noon when it's hot outside. If I could go with the other wives, I wouldn't look so gross. And I could go with the other wives if I'm allowed to to stay with one of my boos. One of my, my, <laughs> my five boon companions. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm fast-forwarding into the show and thinking about where Jesus is at the well, and he goes, yes, and you've had five boos. <laughs> I mean, that's word for word what the word on the street version says. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Finally, the old man just asks how much money she wants, but she isn't there for his fat stacks. All she wants is... <laughs> you were going to hold it together for a second. Whew. Finally, the old man asks how much money she wants, but she isn't there for his fat stacks. All she wants is a divorce. On what grounds, the old man asks. She said she's seen another bro. An ancient Hebrew Count Dooku <laughs> says that he wants to see this guy before signing. <laughs> That's what he looks like, guys. I mean, come on. Yeah, he, he does, does. straight-up look like Christopher it Plummer. Is, ancient Hebrew. Now you mention it. But here's the best part, because not only is this old dude relatable, but he's also sassy. 
He's a sassy, yeah. relatable, old Count Dooku-looking man. I want to see the latest shade of drooling tomcat you put your spell on. Harry. Before he gets bored. Like the others. Oh, snap, Count Dooku. That was cold. I liked it. It's like, look at you. You five husband having grossness. <laughs> but in the end, uh, it all works out because he refuses to sign the divorce papers and throw them in the fire. Anything about that scene that you feel like discussing that we overlooked? No, other than it is the, the male that could uh, put in for divorcement. I think that was accurate. No, I mean, it was 100% mm -hmm. accurate. Yeah. It was good to get a little backstory in there just to kind of introduce her, especially if you're somebody who doesn't know the biblical story. I'm telling you, I yeah. love that man. That man is my new, he's my spirit animal. He really is. My sp my spirit animal is an elderly Hebrew man. He's hoping to die. Next scene. <laughs> <laughs> Next scene. Jesus and the Chosen are sitting around a feast. They're at the dinner party at Matthew's house from last episode. Simon refuses. Did you guys notice that Simon refused to eat the food that Matthew brings him? Yep. He's doing everything yeah. in his power to make uh, Matthew feel uncomfortable and unwanted. And the old I, cold shoulder. And I tell you what, I really like that because it makes sense. You have a fisherman and you have a tax collector, two people on opposite sides of the social spectrum. This would have been more than likely how they would have interacted. Yeah, I thought, it, you know, the Bible doesn't really give us any insight into that. And I thought that was interesting to see how they how they portrayed that. Because you would think all their animosity wouldn't just evaporate as soon as Jesus called them. But we don't, the biblical account doesn't really tell us if there was any tension there or not. Well, let me ask you a question then. If somebody that you don't like, all right, you've had, let's say one person you had beef with, and I know you're a perfect saint and everyone's always liked you forever and you never had somebody that said a bad thing about you. But imagine you did. <sighs> Stop singing the opening credit song that was there. It's creepy enough. <laughs> Let's just say that you had somebody that was your enemy, but he decided to join the church. Do those feelings automatically just vanish just like that? Of course not. It's human nature. It's something that you're going to have to work on. But it takes time. You can't just immediately mend a friendship just because something happens. There's there's a bridge that needs to be gapped there. So I do real I, I truly think this is very realistic. Absolutely. Then the party is crashed by a couple of Pharisees because they were walking by and they heard Jesus speaking. Jesus immediately goes to the door and invites the Pharisees into the party, but they refuse because they would never be caught dead eating with tax collectors, prostitutes, and other sinners. Matter of fact, one of the Pharisees is disgusted, just disgusted, that Jesus would keep such company with the likes of these people. Basically, they're not going to sit down and eat with these guys. And Jesus reminds them that it's not the sick who needs a doctor. And then the Pharisee insinuates that God wouldn't want him to dine with those who refuse to pay their tribute at the temple. Jesus tells the Pharisees that they need to learn what Hosea meant when the prophet wrote, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. The Pharisees threaten Jesus, saying that the religious leaders are listening to everything that Jesus says. Then Jesus gives the Pharisees a message to take back to those who are watching him. He said, let them know this. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I found this really interesting because it did open a door a little bit to, again, the kind of culture 
and the uh, interactions and the social relationships that were would have been around in the first century. One of their biggest arguments is that Matthew wasn't paying his, what they called the guilt tax. And Matthew responded back, yes, because you don't let tax collectors into the temple. The Pharisees wanted the tax collector's money, but they didn't just want the tax collector. Yep. And and from a modern standpoint, can you imagine that? Can you imagine saying, look, we don't want you here, but if you could just, you know, send in your donation, that'd be great. I think I think the whole scene does a really good job of painting some of the conflict that would have existed between the different groups. And, you know, how many times have probably all of us read that in the Bible where uh, the Pharisees talk about how they wouldn't dare eat with tax collectors or sinners. And and, you know, I, I, I've read that many times. I've probably gotten to the point where I just gloss over it. But in the in the show, it really. Uh, when you kind of start putting a face with the animosity and the angst that's in the people's voice, uh, for me, it helped me go a little deeper into thinking of some of that. And it's so true, the the level of righteousness that the Pharisees had and wouldn't even come in contact with anybody that had any type of issue, to tax collector, prostitute, any kind of sin within their life. But yeah, you're right. We'll take your money. You know, and one thing that kind of opened my eyes up about this, and I think it's because I come from a gospel church perspective, is I've never been in a congregation where the collection was ever front and center. Mm -hmm. It was almost, yes, it's an act of worship. Yes, we have to do it, but it's almost been in every place that I've worked or worshipped an afterthought. You know, it's kind of just put, put in right after the communion we mm-hmm. always say it's separate and apart, you know, mm-hmm. and we always make it clear that you give from your heart, that we're not asking you to go and put yourself in poverty or things like that. And so it it's it really opened my eyes a little bit to put my myself in the, the Pharisees place where their number one concern is making sure that they have the nicest synagogues, the nicest temples, the nicest vestments, the nice everything. In order to do that, they need money. They They care more about influence, money, and power. And of course, I knew that before watching this mm-hmm. episode, but this episode really made that point come to life. Yeah. Another thing that I got from this that I really enjoyed seeing was Jesus plays the part of someone who is stern but loving perfectly. Mm-hmm. The guy that plays it. You know, normally he's got a smile on his face and he's goofing around with his followers and everything, but you could see there was a little bit of fire in his eyes when he was talking to these Pharisees. And he never showed them anything that could be uh, really seen as disrespect, but at the same time, he he didn't back down. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for Christians to see, especially because sometimes Christians think that in order to uh, 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 follow the, the, the commands of the Bible— turn the other cheek and be the peaceful nature people that we're called to be, that that means we have to have like the spine of a jellyfish and kind of just crumble whenever confrontation comes our way. And it was cool to see Jesus stand up to these people because it does show an important lesson here that there it is possible to stand up for the truth without being violent, angry, mm-hmm. and vindictive. Yeah. And you think how that scene starts too. He even invited them to come in, come, come and be a part of Shabbat. 
uh, you know, come and do what we're doing, which really they should have been doing anyway, according to the law. But it was good to see Jesus, as you say, with a backbone, not in an angry, vengeful, aggressive way, stating that which is truth and why he had come uh, to give that information over to the Pharisees. I'll also point out that we see Peter in his typical Peter fashion with his really, I, I, just, I, I guess, I almost hate to say bad attitude, but, you know, to me, he's right on the verge of, well, let's fight, you know, well, well, I don't, the way you're talking, so I'll take care, but there's a lot that comes out in this scene that, that uh, you see the different, the different uh, uh, characters and character flaws of some of these individuals. And it does have this buildup between Jesus and the Pharisees, where you don't know what's going to happen. <clears throat> the Pharisees aren't backing down. Jesus uh, isn't backing down from the truth. And so we have this heightened tension between these two perceivable and movable forces. But before the Pharisees can respond to Jesus saying, I've come to call sinners, not the righteous, Gaius immediately shows up. He comes up behind them and asks if everything's all right. And I loved this because the Pharisees, you can see their posture immediately go from being straight. I'm the most important person here to seeing the Roman praetor behind them and going, oh, no, sorry, it's, my bad. It, it's you. Nothing's wrong. I apologize. <laughs> and like puppies cowering before a bigger dog, the Pharisees back away from Gaius and leave with their tails between their legs. This episode truly shows, and we'll get to more of this later on before the uh, before we come to the conclusion of the show. Gaius is absolutely tore up about losing Matthew. Oh yeah, and it's more than just him being a good tax collector. Oh, you see, the I love Gaius out of in this Gaius. episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is just he he's trying, and that's there. He shows himself again at Matthew's house, trying to convince him. Don't do this. You need to stay doing what you're doing, collecting taxes. Right, because it wasn't one of those serendipitous moments that sometimes shows try to shoe in. It was, you mm -hmm. could tell that he was there to talk to Matthew. He didn't know about the little dinner party that was going on. He just wanted to mm -hmm. talk to, to Matthew. And so Matthew comes over to Gaius and tells everyone to keep eating while he and Gaius talk. And Gaius immediately tries to convince Matthew to reconsider leaving his job and associating himself with what he calls basically the bottom rung of Capernaum society. <laughs> and Matthew reminds Gaius that uh, he comes from a Germanic lineage and his people are known for surrendering. And I love what Matthew says here, that Matthew is just doing what, his, what Gaius' ancestors did. He's just surrendering to Jesus. He's just giving up what he needs to do in order to, to do what was right for him. Mm -hmm. But Gaius doesn't want to lose Matthew. He understands that it was Matthew who got him his recent promotion. And it's also pretty obvious, like Scott was saying, that despite Matthew's quirks, he really likes the former tax collector. And I really love that scene that takes place where Matthew's trying to be humble and say that he had nothing to do with Gaius's promotion. Your promotion was well earned. You will do well without me. Better, even. Hmm. How? You're the one who got me promoted. That is untrue. Do not play dumb. You know how this all happened. You could say thank you. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> then Matthew but he's kinda, going to do him a favor. Yeah, Matthew turns into like the Godfather there for a minute. He goes, <laughs> "Come to my daughter's wedding. Ask me for a <laughs> He goes, well, fine. If you're not going to say thank you, you can show me your thankfulness by doing me a favor. Before we're told what the, the, the cliffhanger of that scene is, we change to Nicodemus. Uh, is there anything else you want to point out? Because that, honestly, was one of the best scenes in the entire series, yeah, I think. Yeah. I like that, uh, <clears throat> you know, Jesus invites them into the house before he tells them that um, he's there for tax collectors, or, or uh, for sinners, that he's there not to... Uh, help the righteous, but the sinners. And he's already invited them in. And that happens like almost out of order. And I wonder if, if a lot of people connect the dots, like he invited them and they won't come in. And then he says, well, I'm all, I'm here for the sinners. Like if they had been right, put those two things together after the fact, they would have realized, Oh, I'm in that camp as well. Well, right. And, yep. and maybe sometimes people read that verse and, and they take it out of context to try to justify living sinfully saying, well, Jesus is here for sinners, not the righteous. Well, that's not what that verse means. The The people that were sitting there eating knew that they were the lowest of the low. They knew that they were prostitutes and, and beggars, and, and and not that begging is a sin, but, you know, they knew that they were the dregs of society, as Gaius puts it. But the Gaius. Pharisees think that uh, they're... They, the Pharisees think that their chocolate pasta doesn't stink. <laughs> In their minds, they are righteous, but really, they're rotten. Ah, you see what I did there? <laughs> I did. I did. <clears throat> Truth be told, they have a lot of similarities with chocolate pasta. <laughs> uh, you know what else I really liked about this scene was that there was so very, very little of Mary. <laughs> I think she had one line in the whole 15-minute scene. It was great. <laughs> but you know what? This is what I'm talking about. This right here, perfect use of Mary. The Mary to story ratio was perfected in this scene. Because is Mary in the scene? Yes. But she's not the center of the scene. She's not saying any quippy things that are going to stick with me for the rest of my life. I am still having recurring nightmares of Mary with a switchblade coming up, going, I'm going to cut you, Bendejo. Didn't you see her in the background when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees? She was. She took over and started teaching the apostles. <laughs> <laughs> so Nicodemus is uh, getting ready to receive a great reward, and his wife couldn't be more proud as she helps him get ready. Nicodemus is reminded of his mother and his mother's love for Hagar. Now, Hagar, he reminds his wife, was caught up in strife, but God still saw her, and the Lord understood that Hagar's road was not going to be an easy one. When we stumble onto hard roads, he finds us and comforts us. Or does he call us to him? I'd like the, just the whole ten <clears throat> tension between him and his wife. I feel like that's very natural. Like he's been doing this thing his whole life one way and thought he was right. And his wife's totally sold on it. But yeah, I feel like that's a very natural tension. And um, I, I think it's, it's good. It would be because he doesn't, he just doesn't want to like come out and ruin her life because she's all like, oh, I love our lives the way it is. And he's like, well, I pretty much hate my life right now, but he won't come out and say it. And uh, I, I like the, the whole dynamic there. You could see a change in his entire demeanor as soon as she said, I love my life because 
Nicodemus is absolutely tore up. He's in. He's just in pieces internally because he believes in Jesus. He believes why he's there, and he wants to go and to follow him. But he even said it to Jesus in the last episode. He'd have to leave everything that. Sounds like a ghost, doesn't it? It does a little bit, and I remember that now. <laughs> Wasn't very impactful with me, though. Uh, Sorry. That's all right. But no, Nick, Dean, Nick <laughs> Dean is just absolutely, he is just so tore up between who he is and who he needs to be. And I think he's being portrayed in this show as a man who knows what he needs to be and where he needs to go. But because of his perception and who has become as a Pharisee, it's too much for him to break away from. Right. I think he's being torn between who he used to be and some one else. (laughs) 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 But yeah, Nicodemus' wife is excited to leave Capernaum. Uh, When Nicodemus hears that he only has one more day, he is hit with the sense of urgency. Jesus, was it last episode or two weeks ago, whenever it was, uh, uh, Jesus invited Nicodemus to join him. Nicodemus yeah. had a chance to be one of the chosen. I mean, we already have the top spot apostle, Mary Magdalene. Number two could have definitely been uh, n- little Nicky here. Nico. My, 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 Paul could be number three. My Nico wafer. Um, then uh, we go see Quintus I love how the scene opens up on like the side of Quintus's head and it's like reflecting and shining in the sunlight it's great if only Mary had been there like polishing it (laughs) excuse me Quintus let me get that you have a spot squeak 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 squeak. (laughs) chamois towel rubbing back and forth Uh, a quintessentially bad actor tells Gaius that they're not using enough force to break up the crowds. After all, what use are mounted officers if the people have never seen anyone trampled? I say that every time I see a parade. Every time. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> every time I see a cop going down the street on a horse, I'm like, what's the he's point not, of that? Why aren't you trampling he's not people? not running over anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Tax dollars at use here, not trampling anyone. Ridiculous. <laughs> well, the reason why quintessentially bad actor is all grumpy is because a crowd got in the way of his childhood rival, Herod, and it made him look bad. And then, our good friend Gaius has to break the news to quintessentially bad actor that Matthew is no longer working as a tax collector for Rome. Then Quintus throws what can only be called a hissy fit. And because Jesus stole his pet, Quintus says in his terrible acting ways, Oh, I really don't like that man. Oh, I really don't like that man. (laughs) I think this scene might have been just a little on the nose. Up to now, everything Quintus has done has been very reserved. Uh had undertones, of course, but but was never on the surface. But I don't know. I think this one might have just been just a little too on the nose for me. He liked Matthew, too. 
want that to be a shirt. I want Quintus's head on a t-shirt. Just above it say, he liked Matthew too. The Rotten Righteous Podcast. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. He, you know, you see him as he's talking to guys. He goes, don't make me keep asking questions. <laughs> I'm thinking, shut up. Just shut up. No, that's how I, just... I, that's why I hate trying to get information from anybody. I just expect to immediately go up to someone and look at them and they tell me what I want to know. Don't make me ask questions. I, I want to know what he uses on his head. Because it can't be that shiny naturally. Probably Charmin. I think he's using Fop. Fop? I don't know. I mean, yeah, Fop. Fop probably would give you the shine as opposed to the Dapper Dan. It wouldn't shine it as well. That and, and Capernaum, you couldn't get Dapper Dan from anywhere. I mean, it would take oh, it a, would take two weeks at least because Capernaum was a geological oddity. Two weeks from everywhere. Yeah. yeah. My guess is that he uses fop with Charmin and, and wiped it on his head. My guess this is fop. he had a big bowl of chocolate penne. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why that would make his head shiny, but I just think like he's the type of guy that would fix up a big bowl of chocolate penne on purpose. <laughs> fop, Luke, is a hair... Jelly. Hair jelly. Hair product. Jelly or hair treatment. Yes. And you hair like treatment. the smell of your hair treatment because the pleasing aroma is half the point. I see. Jesus and the Chosen are making camp. And Simon and the guys are kind of ribbing each other, which again, I love because that's all preaching school was, was two years of just picking on each other out of love for the most part. Uh, but they're they're just ribbing on each other, and someone said that that Simon would be in better shape, or he wouldn't hurt so much. He said he had bad shins, uh, but but he wouldn't hurt so much if he didn't spend all his time fighting. But Simon goes, "My fighting days are over." And then Jesus gives Simon a real quick and you miss it look of like, hmm? <laughs> like you keep thinking that big boy, and and again I just the guy that plays Jesus is so good at this role yeah. he really is and then something's bothering simon and uh jesus asks him what's up and simon just basically says he's worried about eden's ema who was dying uh while he was away with jesus back to nico nicodemus just finished accepting his honor and then shimmy shimmy cocoa puff comes out to address his mentor congratulate him and Shimuel talks about how he's excited to become a great teacher. And Nicodemus is like, you need to slow your roll, Holmes. God takes us where he wants us. And Shim's like, well, yeah, but I found me a specialty. Found me a branch of Pharisee learning that that's uh, going to make me a big name. A lot of people are going to be interested in this. And what was that subject? False prophecy. Why did did Shimuel choose to study false prophecy? Because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And Nicodemus, that little scoundrel, did not call Jesus out on his blasphemy. So Shem is going to go and study, and he's going to take Jesus to task. And then he tells Nicodemus that if 
Or basically, he just tells Nicodemus to stay out of his way. He's just like, just get out of the way, man. We don't know what you're doing, but just stay out of my way. Because I'm on a shooting star to the top. <laughs> you know, I like Shim. Shim will. I, it was sad. It was I, sad. I think this is the moment where he goes to the dark side instead of uh, comes to the light. Well, if you looked in his eyes, they turned yellow, which is the sign that you're the dark side. Then we're back at Simon's house, and Ema is coughing, and Eden is giving her her weekly sponge bath, and <laughs> <laughs> and things are looking bad for Ema, and it's overwhelming, poor Eden. And I just want to give this girl a hug. I do. Just wrap her up in my arms and hold her tight and tell her it's going to be okay. I just want to call out your bias here, because I knew how you were going to respond to this scene. Because you hate on Mary, but you don't hate on Eden. Unless she's stomping grapes. But you just want to give Eden a hug. And Mary, you're like making out to be this mass murderer in the background. You know what I love in the background? I feel like there's some bias there. What I really love in the background is your mouse clicking every five seconds. I think it's the best. It's best for audio. Your mouse clicking. It's really good for the audio. That ambient mouse clicking. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. I use the trackpad. Don't change the subject. Exactly. How, no, that is not you. That's comparing apples and oranges. Why can I say that? Because Eden belongs here. It's her mother-in-law that's sick. Mm. We know Question Simon was married. We know that his wife was probably still alive. We know that his mother-in-law was living with him. Chances are his wife was there. Mary Magdalene, on the other hand, doesn't show up until after the crucifixion. So Eden, like I said, is giving her mom her weekly sponge bath, and it's overwhelming, and Eden doesn't know. She's trying to hold it all together, because she knows Simon needs to go with Jesus, but she also knows that taking care of her mom, who is very sick, is going to be hard. But then Jesus shows up, and Jesus tells Simon to go sit with his mother-in-law as Jesus and Eden have a little conversation. And Jesus tells Eden that she has a role to play in all this. But she's not going to be told what that role is. But she'll know in time. The whole idea that Jesus is going to heal her mother-in-law in order to make her life a little bit easier while Simon is away. I don't hate that. I think it was pretty good. And then Jesus kind of turns it around with a pretty funny joke. And Scott, this is your favorite line in the whole show, you told me, was uh, mm-hmm. Plus, normal Simon is difficult enough. You think I want to travel with a worried Simon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only thing, and I watched this several times, the only thing I could think of when he said that was, I, I, I didn't hear normal Peter is hard enough to travel with. What I heard was normal Zach is hard enough to deal with. <laughs> I don't know what you're insinuating. Did he actually say Peter in the show? No, he because said Simon. I heard, I heard Zach. Simon. Oh, he said Simon? Yes. See, that's, that's why I had to go back and watch it so many times, because I heard <laughs> normal Zach is hard to deal with. Uh, Jesus walks into Ema's room and heals her. And Ema's 100% restored. And Jesus is sitting there smiling at her. And then it was my favorite line in the whole show. Ema turns to Jesus and says, Who are you? <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Eden's Ema okay. is healed. Thank, and uh, Eden thanks Jesus. And he just lifts this huge burden off of her. I can't imagine, and I'm glad they put it in the show, what it would have been like for... Peter being married to leave and be going like that. And uh, he obviously is close to 
uh, Eden obviously loves her, uh, but he's going to be going more and more and more. Right. And there's a great challenge within that. And she is willing to sacrifice, in my mind, just as much as he is. Well, you see, I, I, I was talking to Kelsey about that the other day. And I was like, how would you deal with me, you know, leaving if I had to do this? And, and she looked at me and said, I can't even imagine it, but I sure would like to. <laughs> yeah, I imagine you did say is that. There, is there any chance? <laughs> there any holy men walking around in Kentucky? There's tons of guys with gunshot wounds. I'm sure I could follow some holy man. <laughs> <laughs> so the next scene, we're back with the woman from the opening scene, and she makes her way through a crowded market, and she picks up an orange, only to be told that they don't serve her kind here. And she's like, yeah, you do. And she slaps some money on the table. She slaps down her Skrilla and takes the orange. That was the end of that scene. Then, <laughs> and then we're back with Quintal quintessentially bad actor. That gives an order in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. He says, By order of Rome and punishable by detention and imprisonment, religious gatherings outside the synagogue and Hebrew Yeah, religious gatherings outside the synagogue and Hebrew school are strictly prohibited. Then Quintus says that Jesus is wanted for questioning. I do have a problem with that one scene. I know it's very short, but I have a problem with it. Because that makes zero sense historically. Mm-hmm. The one thing that Rome wouldn't take away from the Jews is their religious freedom. That is the only thing that keeps the Jews in line. I get what they're trying to do, but it does not make sense historically. Yeah, the time the timing of it's the timing of it's not okay. And then we have a leaving montage. Matthew leaves and locks his house. Simon tosses a burlap sack over his shoulder. James and John say goodbye to their parents. Mary leaves her house, basically carrying only a, what looks like a rolled-up yoga mat. Nicodemus' wife is packing. Simon hugs and kisses Ema and Eden goodbye. And they all meet at a fountain, while Nicodemus looks at the group from a distance. Jesus asks if everyone is there, and Mary, being the more, most important uh, disciple, and is also in charge of attendance, says, Yep, we're all here. Nicodemus... Meanwhile, is in the alley behind the corner, very hesitant about whether or not he's going to join these people. But then Simon finds what is clearly a purple crown royal bag. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say crown royal? Yeah, crown, crown royal comes in these velvet sacks. I guarantee you that's exactly what it is. It does. I did they not know that. Just put some like fake gold coins in it. They <laughs> <laughs> find this this purple sack of gold, and Jesus knows it was from Nico. Meanwhile, Nicodemus is weeping. He's afraid to join Jesus officially. He wants to help Jesus out, and so he gives him this gold, but he doesn't want to. He, he can't make the leap from his old life to his new life, and Jesus sadly remarks on behalf of Nicodemus, you came so close. And this scene broke my heart. It's well acted, yeah. and it it just broke my heart. Because... Nick, Nicodemus is just absolutely sobbing around the corner. I mean, he is just... I, I felt so much for him right then and wondered... Why do you not just turn and understand? It's just a show. It's not the biblical account. But why can you not just turn the corner 
And I think there's a message there that we can all see uh, when it comes to Christ. There's a lot that we have to give up. Uh, and some folks aren't willing to give up, whatever that may be. For him, it was his position in the in the Sanhedrin position as a, as a Pharisee. There's a sermon right there. Why can't you just turn the corner? Why can't you just turn the corner? That's actually, <laughs> like- that's actually a good title. I thought I liked that scene because I felt like it was. I hope it's relatable for people who maybe aren't Christians watching Nicodemus. Yeah. Uh, but even like when he's in his house with his wife, and then this scene because they know. I think some people are out there. They know what they should do. They just can't. They just can't turn the corner. Yeah. And um, you know, fully commit to it, and they're gonna show that he should have done that. And but I feel like there's a lot of people in that situation. Then Gaius goes, and if you think that he's going to go and knock on Matthew's parents' house. You're right, because that's exactly what he does. He goes to Matthew's parents and tells them that Matthew followed Jesus. And you get this, you get that Gaius is so protective of Matthew. Mm -hmm. Honestly, Gaius was more of a father to Matthew than Matthew's own father. You know, because, and you look back on the scenes, and... You know, Gaius says things like, any dad would be proud of a son that, that makes your kind of money, that, that does your job, that, you know, all this stuff. And, and, and it makes sense that Gaius really was this father figure. And so it's kind of cool what they set up here between Matthew's real father, who came back from his business trip that he wasn't at last episode, to our, our, and him being compared and contrasted to Gaius, his surrogate father. And I loved, I loved when Gaius looked at Matthew's father and, and said, well, do you even know your son? Because no. Right. Real father has no clue about his son because he's, give, he's given him the boot. I think there is a shift that maybe for the first time in years, Matthew's father is proud of his son. Yeah. That oh, he no. I, gave yeah. up being a tax collector to follow what he believes is a pro- prophet, and Gaius is clearly disappointed that Matthew made this decision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I think definitely he's disappointed, but I think he respects him enough to recognize why he went. Um, but, yeah, and it's it, – it, I think next season when it comes along, too, it, to me it'll be interesting to see how many more times will Gaius come back to Matthew because I got a feeling – I don't know, but I got a feeling it wasn't the last time. I, I predict Gaius to be uh, – he'll either be the centurion at the cross who confesses Jesus – Okay. You don't think Quintus? You don't think Quintus is going to stand up there and go? Clearly, this man was the son of God. No, Quintus is—he's uh, above that. He doesn't crucify people. He's—I uh, I don't have any hope for Quintus. What's up with the dog? That's my question. Like, why is the dog there? Because he's cute. Is that? Is that <laughs> I think, and, and from what I gather, it's all about protection. Well, that... wasn't wasn't it that? Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's just get in that scene. Matthew did leave some things to his parents when he left for Jesus. Number one was his house. And then he takes him outside and says, there's one more thing. And he says, this dog. And from my understanding, uh, Andrew was on a few weeks ago, and he gave an explanation for the dog that was really, really kind of cool that I didn't think about, but I think he's right. And that's that dogs weren't, yeah, they were domesticated by then, but in big cities like that, dogs were kind of like, giant mean rats like you didn't want them to be around you they were just travel in packs and they were scavengers and they were mean and nasty creatures and 
it is kind of poetic that Matthew would befriend one of these things and then leave this dog, which again, his parents don't have that kind of predisposition towards these animals that Matthew has, uh, behind to keep his mom company when his dad's on the road. Yeah, and I kind of I kind of picked up two out of that scene because the dad had been robbed, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Guys was alluding to the fact that you know nobody liked Matthew because he was the tax collector. Obviously, that I got the impression the dog was there for some protection, and then it would also be to protect Matthew's father uh, during his time of travel or working. Well, I think the dog went up there, and I know the dog couldn't talk, but I do pr- think it was also protection. But I don't think it was like physical protection. I think it was like more like a mafioso protection racket. Like the dog was saying, you know, you give me five milk bones and maybe your maybe your business doesn't get robbed this month. <laughs> That's Matthew's dog though. He wouldn't do it for any more than any less than ten dog bones. That's true. And then as he leaves, Gaius really wants to say that he he had a good time oh, with, his, yeah. with his son. But all the guy he could get out was, I know some people who were mildly fond of your son. <laughs> mildly fond. Jesus and the Chosen are on the outskirts of Jezreel. And Jesus starts to lead them towards Samaria, and people think he's joking. They try to persuade Jesus not to go because of their prejudice and fear of attack. And then, uh, I like this next part because, well, uh, up until now we've seen Jesus joke around and be stern with his enemies and... and smile and be loving and caring now we get to see the annoyance of jesus and i really yeah. like this scene where they're all arguing about we're gonna get attacked you know we don't go into samaria we should go around and jesus responds if we're gonna have a question and answer session every time we do something that you're not used to it's gonna be a very annoying time together for all of us <laughs> and i loved it i loved it honestly i'm gonna use that at my next men's meeting <laughs> Can I, can I say with that scene, too, one of the other things, again, back to Matthew, him walking, looking at his map, and, you know, he starts talking about the direction, and then he goes, well, according to my calculations, we need to go 30 degrees this way. And Jesus is like, 30 degrees? Is that accurate? <laughs> but you, you, you see, once again, Matthew and his need for, for facts, figures, and exactness when it comes to numbers. And I'll tell you what else uh, caught my attention was that Simon says, my catchphrase, Jesus says, if we get attacked, Simon will show us what to do. And what does Simon respond? Absolutely. 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 We got two people listening in Ireland last week. If you're still listening, uh, I appreciate you. Nice. My wife wanted me to ask where in Ireland you're from. So if you want to email me uh, at rottenerrighteous at gmail.com or message Facebook, that'd be great. Or if you just don't want to. I'm not going to hold that against you either because it's kind of creepy that she made me ask. But here you go, Kelsey. I'm asking. Um, In the next scene, Jesus and the Chosen are uh, walking and they reach a well. And the Lord sends them all into town to buy food. And at the well, the woman from the opening scene comes to draw water. And Jesus asks for a drink. And she basically goes, that's a negative, Ghost Rider. Get your own stinking drink. You want a drink? I'll get your own stick. She turns into like Scarface for a minute. <laughs> she can't believe a Jew would ask a Samaritan woman for a drink. And basically, she's doing everything in her power not to give Jesus a drink. Yeah. 
And Jesus tells her that if she knew who he was, she would be asking him for a drink, and he would give her living water. And she's so jaded by everybody that she's not willing to give Jesus basically the time of day, let alone a glass of water. And eventually she asks Jesus to prove that he can give this water, this living water. Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you, but you gotta go get your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, I know. You got five, you nasty. (laughs) (laughs) You got five boos. You got five boo-boos. Got five buffs, BFs, as the kids say. And when Jesus says that, she just kind of gives up listening to him. She's tired of being held down by her past mistakes. But Jesus gives her hope, saying that there's a time coming that when the barriers and prejudices that are holding her back, and really one of the biggest barriers is because of her current state that she's in, she's not welcome into where the Samaritans are worshiping. She's certainly not welcome in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, well, there's a time that's going to come where these barriers and prejudices that are blocking you from redemption are going to disappear. That she'll no longer be barred from the temple because God is spirit and everyone must worship in spirit and truth. And it doesn't matter where you're from or what you've done. And she can't believe what Jesus is saying. It's too good to be true. And she doesn't believe it until Jesus admits to being the Messiah and reveals her past husbands. Well, really, he only reveals two. And I wrote those down because I found them kind of funny. The first one was ramen. (laughs) (laughs) And he came in a little package, plastic package with a little bit of seasoning. But he was cheap. But he was divorced. (laughs) Well, he's abusive. He was really high in sodium. Just destroyed her heart health. But he was abusive and he left. And the second was Farzad. And apparently uh, his one defining quality was that he smelled like an orange. And this was just weird. You know, because I, you, there's a lot of things you can be remembered to be smelled by. Yeah. I mean, you go back to the scene at the market when she had the orange sniffed the orange and then and then paid for it and now it you know the whole idea of it reminds her of her husband and just i i just i got i got the willies the woolies i don't know it was it was that just was weird her, that was her husband at the market right so my thought was he he's an orange salesman that's why he always smelled like oranges and she goes there and meets him i disagree i think that like matthew and his uh date rubbing he just grabbed himself a tanger or tangelo every morning and, <laughs> and zested himself up. Yeah. So was was that her exit to, at the market? That was my thought. I mean, it could have been. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even think. I didn't about draw it, that but parallel, but it definitely could have been. I can't remember why I connected that, but I thought there was a reason. Maybe it was just something I made up. And uh, well, Farzad. Not only smelled like an orange, but he was a godly man. And she left him because she felt unworthy. And then she goes, why are you doing this? And he said, well, here's the thing. Uh, You're the first person that I ever told I was the Messiah. And it would kind of stink if the first person I told that I was the Messiah didn't believe me. And then he said that he came to Samaria just to meet her. She finally believes that Jesus is the Christ and says that she's going to tell everyone. And Jesus says... I was counting on it. Her buddy. 
And then there's like a, his disciples come back. There's like a two minute comedy sketch where they're like, hey, Jesus, we brought you some food. Do you want it? And Jesus is like, I got food that you don't even know about. And then one disciple really wants to know who brought him food. Who brought you food, Jesus? I, I've got food. You don't have to worry about it. But who brought it? Who brought this food? I want to know. But it ultimately leads to Jesus declaring that it's time to kick this ministry into overdrive. That it is time. And Simon's like, is it time? And Jesus is like, oh, <laughs> it's time. And then they give each other a fist bump and they hug. <laughs> exactly according to the biblical text. And then, <laughs> and then a terrible rock song comes on and they slow motion walk into the nearest town. Boom. Into the first season. Yes! <laughs> All right, what do you guys think about this entire, the entire woman at the well scene? What, 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 what are your thoughts? There were like parts it. of it. Yeah, there were parts of it I really liked. There were parts of it I'm like, ah, just stop. I, the, I, I love how Jesus, he's, he's being, um, he's just being put off in the very beginning. And he keeps trying to talk and trying to reveal himself to the Samaritan woman. And it, the, the amount of knowledge that Jesus has to have for her to even begin to believe that he is who he says he is. I enjoyed watching that. And then her then coming to the conclusion of who he was and getting really, really excited and how she's going to tell everybody about that. Um, I, I mean, overall, I really liked the scene, but there were a couple of things again and this is this is just me, the orange thing. I just thought was weird. Like <laughs> <laughs> you know, we could have left the whole orange thing this out. This is the and... wood chopping debacle all over again, Scott. It is. It is. What? <laughs> Why the orange? Um, uh... That was just. But you know, again, that's on me. That's there's nothing. I I don't know what to say about it, but I'm just. And who smells like an orange? I don't know, but I wish they made an orange deodorant. I'd probably buy it. If I'd wear that. If Old I Spice came out with like a citrus. They have a really good lavender that I've been using for the past couple years. Lavender? Yeah, it's a manly lavender. There manly, is no manly lavender. Know, that's exactly what the tuba deodorant says. A manly lavender so smell. Terry Crews endorsed it as manly. You can tell me Terry Crews is in Manly's. Terry, Terry Crews could beat you. Terry, oh, yeah. Terry Crews could beat you to death with his pecs. <laughs> Just because something says Manly in front of it, Zach, doesn't mean it's Manly. Listen. Yes, it does. I thought the woman played the role of like being the dog who had been kicked too many times. I thought she played that well. And that... Um, you know, Jesus is just another guy telling her to fix her life. And there's probably been a ton of people telling her to fix her life. And there's probably a lot of people in our culture that are like that too. Too many preachers have told them to fix their lives or have been harsh to them or just, uh, just condemned them. And so she just feels like Jesus is going to do the same thing. And he comes off obviously different. And so I like that. Whenever I read this story in the Bible, this narrative in the Bible, I never really pictured the woman being like super kind of, jaded and kind of vindictive towards Christ. I, I mm -hmm. felt like it went a lot smoother for Christ, at least in my imagination, than what was played out in the show. But but I really like this perspective. It kind of opens it up a little bit to how 
truly amazing this encounter could have been if this was Jesus truly ministering. This is like the first time that we've seen in the show someone that just doesn't accept him at face value that's not a Pharisee or, or a Roman. And it was kind of cool to see Jesus pleading, but pleading effectively and pleading with love and, and care in his in his eyes. Yeah. There's a lot of scripture in the in the script, which I liked. They just incorporated a lot of the mm-hmm. like direct quotes out of the Bible. Okay, so we are running out of time because we're on a deadline here. But um, before we get to our rating, we're going to move on to a uh, favorite section called What You Talking About, Pure Flix? And like last week, Scott came up with some movie titles. So you know how this game's played. We've done this for several weeks now, unless you're listening to these out of order, which why would you why would you listen to a serialized review out of order? Doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you're listening to that, then we're so happy to have you. But uh Scott I wanted to do something special. So I have chosen a movie, one from the seventies, one from the eighties, one from the nineties, one from the aughts, and one from the tens. But let's mm. get right into it. From the nineteen seventies. The movie is called Born Again. And Zach, we'll start with you. It's about somebody that comes to Jesus and becomes a completely different person. A new creation, you could say. Dying to the old man to be raised anew. Okay. Luke, Born Again. (laughs) I'm playing to win, not for laughs. Oh, to win. Hmm. Born Again, well, I, I... Born Again is about a baby troll. And <laughs> he's he's a Chinese troll, so he believes in reincarnation. And uh, he gets all his hair cut off. Actually, it doesn't get cut off, but there's a dragon and attacks the city and the fire, you know, gets breathed down and his all his hair gets burned off. And he, if you know those naked trolls, like the only thing that they have is their hair. So he's like, you know, what is life? And uh, so then he <laughs> sacrifices so himself to save the city and um, in doing that he earns for himself a, a good reincarnation where he gets his hair back in the next life when he's born again okay <laughs> again it's a 1978 American biographical drama film depicting the involvement of Charles Colson in the Watergate scandal his subsequent <laughs> conversion to Christianity and his prison term stemming from Watergate. Boom. Now, I tell you what I have to do here. Luke, I have to give you the point. And here's why. What? You mentioned what? You mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned a bald naked troll and, <laughs> and China. I point goes to Luke. Excellent. That was some, again. that was some biased. That was some chocolate like penne. If I've ever heard of it, that's chocolate penne. <laughs> <laughs> It's in Washington, so if we're talking about naked, hairless trolls, it seems appropriate. It's basically who runs the country. Exactly. Okay. We're going to the 1980s, gentlemen, and the title of this 1983 film is Tender Mercies. And Luke, we'll start with you. Tender Mercies. Ooh, this is a tough one. I'm not sure I've seen this one. Tender Mercies is about a troll who <laughs> it worked <laughs> once. Any... Let's see if it'll it work is... twice. <laughs> he, does... 
he doesn't have any he's he's cold he's outside he's lonely he went to alaska to try to you know live among the wilderness but it, he's, it's not working out so he all he has left to build his fire is a little bit of tender and um the only <laughs> the only it's it, his tender is a book about um mercy which is you know that one book about like i don't even know what it's about he burns his book and uh, has a little bit of fire so he can survive the Alaskan winter to make it back to China eventually. Okay. <sighs> Zach, we've got a troll and China. Oh, my goodness. And Alaska. Tender mercy, Zach. Well, I hate to disagree with Luke, but uh, he's wrong. I've, I've seen this movie it's like 70 times. It's actually a uh, biopic of the time that uh, Elvis Presley met uh, Jesse Kamatopoulos, or whatever his name was, Full House. And <laughs> you see, Jesse okay. was was actually Elvis's muse. That's where Elvis got all of his dance moves from. Everything was Jesse from Full House. And Jesse taught him everything, including have mercy. But he never taught Elvis about love. And so Elvis, instead of love, kept putting mercy into his song. I'm a hunk of hunk of burning mercy. It was terrible. It was falling off the charts. Nobody wanted to listen to it. But then somebody, somebody said, hey, Elvis, try love. And he's like, oh, oh, I don't know what love is. Just try love. And he sat down and he wrote tender love. The rest (laughs) is history. Okay. Tender mercies is actually a 1983 American drama film Directed by Bruce Beresford, the screenplay by Horton Foote focuses on Max Sledge, a recovering alcoholic country music singer who seeks to turn his life around through his relationship with a young widow and her son in rural Texas. So, between the two of you, no trolls this time, Zach, you get the point because you did mention music Thank you. And, Thank you very much. Al- and alcoholism. So, <laughs> we are now 1-1. One, one. Okay, the next movie, and Zach, this goes to you. It's the 1993 film, Seasons of the Heart. Uh, Seasons of the Heart is actually part of the Hannibal Lecter uh, filmography. Uh, as you know, in Silence of the Lambs, he meets Clarice and helps her solve a murder. Then in Hannibal, he... Uh, uh, is on the lamb, and he eats a little bit of Ray Liotta's brain. But Seasons of the Heart actually comes before. It's a prequel of this, where he's just starting out on trying to figure out the best way to eat people. And he says, well, the best thing I want to eat is the heart. And so he just tries a whole bunch of different seasons on it, seasonings, and and trying to get it just right. And he finds out that just a little bit of paprika and a dash of garlic salt with some fava beans and a nice Chianti, that's the way to go if you're going to eat the heart. Gross. You know, Luke, you can say just about anything here and get the point. <laughs> I really thought that would get more laughs than what it did. I'm disappointed. I wasn't allowed to watch Hannibal when I was a kid, so I've never seen that show. Luke, you're 29 years old. Stop using that as an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Luke. Seasons of the Heart is actually about, it's actually about the Grinch, you know, because he... Uh, it's it's the prequel to the Grinch, not to Hannibal, because his heart is like really small, you know. And so it, the Grinch, obviously, the story happens in the winter, 
So that he's born in the spring, and he looks like a little troll, kind of like in the the, um, <laughs> the movie. He's trolled three times, and uh, his heart has to grow, and so it follows the uh, the events of the Grinch as he goes through spring, summer, and then fall, and what eventually leads him up to be the Grinch of the winter, and his heart is changed. Well, both of you guys are so not close; it's not even funny. <laughs> Seasons of the Heart, 1993, Martha and Jed Richards live in Oregon in 1862. They and their two young daughters moved there to make a new life. Unfortunately, both of their daughters died from yellow fever along the way. This has left Martha an emotional wreck, and she is unable to move on with her life. That is, until an orphan named the Grinch, no, I mean Danny, <laughs> comes to live with them. Jed immediately accepts Danny as his son, but Martha is still too upset to be able to love him. As time passes, however, she finds herself more and more able to accept him as part of the family. So, as we move on to question number four, the score is still one-to-one. And (laughs) the fourth movie is the 2002 movie called The Miracle of the Cards. And Zach, I believe that Luke is first this time. The miracle of the cards. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this tarot card reader who lives in San Francisco. And uh, she's obviously a pagan. And um, so there's this, uh, this man that comes to her. And this man had some experiences in China and in Alaska. And he's seen some things <laughs> that... Um, he would like to forget. And so he's contracted this disease from some of his encounters in China and Alaska that are slowly transforming him into something that might resemble a troll. (laughs) And so he needs a miracle. And so this woman uh, is able to read his tarot cards and to figure out that there's no hope. And so he turns into a troll, and the troll saga continues. I'd like to say that he's right, Scott, but that'd be a lie. You see, Season of the Cards is actually a biopic uh, about... It's not Season of the Cards. It's It's Miracle of the Cards. That's what I meant. It was Seasons of the Heart. Okay, Miracle of the Cards is actually a a biopic of uh, Harold Hallmark, who, um, well... He went to the store one day and looked at all the cards, and, and he saw one for, you know, Father's Day, Mother's Day, birthday, sympathy, whatever. But he had a grandma who was turning 105 years old, and old Harold Hallmark needed a card. And sure enough, he searched up and down for a grandparent's card. See, she it wasn't her birthday, all right? That was like three months ago. He just wanted to get her something nice. And uh, uh, he was looking around, but then at the very end, he sees this dusty old card. Nobody wants it. It's got a cobweb on it. He picks it up. <laughs> he picks it up, and sure enough, on the inside there, it said, Happy Grandparents Day. He said, Grandparents Day? I never heard of that. And he flipped it over. He saw a little crown. And below that little crown was the word Hallmark. And he knew that this card was a sign from God that he needed to make fake holidays in order for us to spend more money on things that we do not need. And thus, the first Hallmark holiday, Grandparents' Day, was born. 
Please give me the card. Please give me the point. I'm going to give you both a point because the word miracle is actually used in the synopsis of the summary of the show, which Luke, you used. And Zach, it is actually about cards. The miracle of the cards is based on the true story of an English youngster, Craig Shergold, who in 1988 is diagnosed with a brain tumor. I was going to say the, Greg Shergold, too. I was this close. I know. <laughs> Although the prognosis is negative, Craig's mother, Marion, becomes convinced that there is a cure for it and that the means of finding the cure is to break the Guinness Book of World Records for receiving greeting cards. If the prognosis, so what happens? If the prognosis of a cancer screening is negative, that's a good thing. Not according to this. Although the prognosis <laughs> is negative. <laughs> the prognosis is not good. That's what they're trying to say. So anyway, they received 350 million cards to Cra at Craig's door. And where? And I bet you at least at least three quarters of those were Hallmark. Give me the point, Scott. I do, you both get a point. <laughs> you both get a point because if this should happen to end in a tie, I'm not prepared to to have the tiebreaker be of the Christian faith movie that I also saw, which is Rooster Cogburn starring John Wayne and Catherine Hepburn. So the score now is two to two. And here's the tiebreaker. It is the 2015 movie, the masked saint. And Zach, we start with you, the masked saint. The Masked Saint. Well, this is about a very faithful uh, priest in uh, medieval times. Not the, the history, but the, the restaurant. And, um, yeah, that was funny. I don't care who you are, that was a funny <laughs> joke. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to, to medieval times with all of his sisters. And uh, in, the, in the opening of the... Um, of the things he turns to his sisters, this Catholic priest, and says, "Man, I need to break you guys like a bad habit." And uh, but, anyways, he's sitting there and he finds this old wooden mask just sitting on the floor, and he's like, "Well, this is gonna be hilarious when I get back to the the rectory. Uh, I'm gonna put this on. I'm gonna scare some sisters." And so, it's all going great. But then he puts it on, and then he spins around real fast, and his vestments turn into this garish shade of yellow. And his whole head turns green. And uh, he, he looks at the camera and goes, Somebody stop me! And then he <laughs> runs out and does a whole bunch of crime. Okay. And uh, the masked saint. <laughs> All right. Luke, 2015 movie, The Masked Saint. Mm, I think I should be able to win this. Um... There's a troll saint. in China. He... <laughs> no, no, no. This, this happened in Cambodia. So over in Cambodia, where there's um, mostly a bunch of cannibals, Hannibal moved over there and trained them all. And, and, and seasoning of the hearts. Yeah, in that movie. Anyway, <laughs> over in Cambodia, there's cannibals, there's trolls, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And there's also one Christian... And um, he can't show his face because he also has the troll disease. And people will think that, you know, he's probably not a very nice guy if he looks like a troll. And so um, <laughs> he 
just a gut feeling they had. <laughs> he, anyway, he uh, he goes around and he goes to widows' houses, and you know he can't scare them to bring them pies and bread and um, goodies and treats. And so he has to wear a mask everywhere he goes. And eventually he's miraculously healed when the Grinch comes to Cambodia and heals him. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking, how in the world did I give either one of you guys points? (laughs) The mask saint. Chris Samuels is a former professional wrestler who retires from the ring to settle down as a small-time pastor. And when Houston the pastor, pastor. Boom. <laughs> and when the pastor witnesses rampant problems in the community, he decides to moonlight as a mass vigilante fighting the injustice while facing <laughs> crises. <laughs> I need to see this movie. I know. It's got Rowdy Roddy Piper in it. Okay. While facing crises at home and at the church, the pastor must evade the police and somehow reconcile his secret violent identity with his calling as pastor. And Zach, I think you've got to get the point because at least your guy was a, a priest. So Zach gets the win, three to two. Well, it feels good to win two in a row. And I know Luke is running a little bit late, so we're going to jump right into the ratings. And uh, Luke, give your final rating for um, episode eight of The Chosen. Um, I'm going to give this one a seven. Not necessarily because I had any like issues with it. I did not enjoy it quite as much as some of the other episodes. Okay, fair enough. We're going to go ahead and say goodbye to Luke so he can get to his next appointment. All right. Hey, take care, brother. God bless. Yep, you too. All right, Scott, why don't you go ahead and give us your rating for this okay. final I'm episode? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and give it a uh, uh, I'm going to give it an eight this week. I, I know I've given a lot of the sh- a lot of shows an eight, and uh, it's I thought it was a good show again. A couple little quirky things I didn't care for, but overall, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. There were some things I thought were very moving and and really give me some i don't want to say insight but deeper thought uh, to some of the scriptures that we know and study for some other consideration uh, not within not within uh, translation or or meaning but just a, a different perspective considering people that we look at with the, the samaritan woman and uh, you know her particularly what she may have been like when jesus met with her yeah well, like I said, at the uh, top of every episode, whenever it starts, I start out with a 10. And then as soon as I see Quintus, I take a point off. <laughs> now, you saw him twice. I know, so I have to take two points off. Oh, my. Which takes us to an 8. And really, I didn't see anything else that that it caused me to take an entire point off of it. But there was enough that uh, annoyed me that I'm going to take half a point off which leaves me with a seven and a half. So with your rating, Luke's rating, episode eight of The Chosen is an official righteous rating of seven and a half. Yep, 7.5. So there you have it. We are finally done with The Chosen. Please join us next week for our, well, for our uh, transitional episode. I don't know how we're going to do it, 
just yet because, well, next week, uh, just whatever episode comes next, just know it's going to be shorter. We're not reviewing anything, but we are going to set up the, the first movie that we're going to watch for the show, and I hope that you'll join us for that. We'll have some fun and, and play a couple games and uh, maybe just talk about The Chosen as a whole, the first full season. But for now, please, if you haven't already, please go on to Facebook and uh, like our page. You can find us at facebook.com slash rightness. Follow us on Google Podcasts, iHeartMedia, or SoundCloud. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a quick review and five stars. Again, it really helps us reach more people. And please, 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 if you like the show, please, 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 please tell someone about us. Uh, share it. Uh, the more people we have listening, the more... Uh, well, the more motivation we have to keep doing this show. It's a lot of work, but it is a lot of fun. But we want to make sure that someone out there is getting something from it, if we're going to devote some of our time uh, to making it. And if you have a suggestion for a movie or television show you would like us to review, or if you have any question, comment, or concern, you can reach us at rottenorrighteous at gmail.com. Or, again, facebook.com slash rottenorrighteous. Send us a private message. Also, if you haven't already noticed, stay tuned just a bit after the closing music plays. We always throw in a funny little clip that had to be cut from the main show, uh, just as an added bonus. Again, thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our show. For Scott and Luke, I'm Zach Geiler, and this has been Rotten or Righteous. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, remember to say your prayers and obey your parents. Without further ado, let's go ahead and just jump right into the review. Skew, skew, skadoo. Right into the review. <laughs> <laughs> You're such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs>